This is 100% Ska, the almost all-vinyl, all-Ska pseudo-radio show, with your host, DJ Ride Midnight, spinning the finest songs from across the genre. So roll up the rug, get ready to dance, and let the beat pick up your feet. Welcome to 100% Ska. You can probably hear some rain there in the background as we record in our secret location deep in the heart of Jersey City as what is what storm are we up to now? Uh, Ida, uh, post-tropical storm, I think is the official terminology for it at this point, uh, is coming crashing through this area. This sounds kind of nice. It's kind of it's kind of actually, it's kind of pleasant. I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't put you to sleep. Uh, anyway, what's going on? Well, we got a good show for you tonight. Uh, you just heard MU330 uh, with their rendition of Vacation. And this is as this is to kind of get you in the mood 
for a all 90s 7 inch episode but smack dab in the middle of this episode we're going to have a fantastic uh, interview with Kevin and Rick from Punch the Clown uh, also one of the main 90s ska mainstays uh, coming out of California they've got a brand new anthology uh, album coming out uh, this weekend and so we're going to be talking about that we're going to talk about a whole bunch of Punch the Clown stuff it's going to be fantastic uh, but I've also got some... Wow, it has really come down. I don't know if you can hear this. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll find out when I listen to this myself. It is really coming down. Um, so I think, my, I think my microphone is really picking up this rain. It's kind, of, it's kind of tranquil, almost. It's actually a lot worse outside than it sounds. Uh, anyway, let's move on. So let's listen to some music because I want to get you to the interview. But I want to get you really into that 90s frame of mind. So we're going to knock out uh, four in a row of some fantastic 90s ska music for you. Then we're going to get right into this episode and it's going to be fantastic. So let's start you off. We're going to get in the mood with the Chinkies. This is You Don't Know right here on 100% Ska. Yeah. 
welcome back. This is 100% Scott, and you just heard Super Dot with Magnificent Bob. Before that, we had the Parker Kings with Alone. Prior to that, we had the Jinkies with Road Trip, and starting us all off on that set, the Jinkies with You Don't Know, uh, with, uh, of course, uh, Mike Park uh, at the front of that group. And wow, it is really just keeping on coming down. Again, I don't know, I can hear this on my monitor. I don't know if it's gonna pick up on the actual episode, but if it is, man, it is just it is just really coming down. But again, it's still it's still just kind of tranquil. Nice little a nice little summer shower. But it's not. It's horrible outside. Um, but what's not horrible is an interview with Punch the Clown. And that is what we're going to listen to right now. And uh, so you enjoy this. I'm going to refresh my drink. I'm going to hope that my power survives uh, long enough to get this whole episode recorded, and uh, I'll be right back. Good evening. For tonight's episode, I want to welcome two members of Punch the Clown. We've got Rick, one of the founding members of the band, who was the uh, drummer for the band, and Kevin, who was one of the main bass players for the band. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to have you. Or good, <laughs> good to be here. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> anesthesia. It was anest- that anesthesia. It's going to be great today, I can tell. Good, yeah, <laughs> good to well. uh, now, for those that might not be overtly familiar, Punch the Clown was a band out of the Bay Area, Davis, California, to be specific, who were prominent from around, I want to say like 92, 93 to around 98, and put out a couple albums. Most people like myself really got introduced to the band through various compilations that you've had tracks on. And so I've always had this question in my mind, is where did the name Punch the Clown originate from? Well, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, there's like Punch and Judy, but I always wondered if it was actually not a noun, but an action, like Punch the Clown, not Punch the Name, but the action of, of going over and, and punching the clown. Well, it's actually a euphemism, euphemism for masturbation. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I was wrong. You haven't listened to the song Punch the Clown? It clearly uh, spells that out. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember distinctly how the name came up. I, this is just this friend of mine, and every time I said, hey, what are you doing? He goes, nothing, just sitting around punching my clown. So that, I, that for some reason, stuck. I said, someday I'm going to have a band with that name. So that's how it came about. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could say, yeah, it's a, it's a clown name punch. That's punch, comma, the clown. You could literally, you know, the, the act of punching a clown or the third, much more um, R-rated version. So I want to hop in the DeLorean and, and head back to those hedonistic <laughs> days of, of early 90s ska. And Rick, as one of the founding members of the band, I wanted to kind of ask, how did the band first originate? Like, uh, It was this bagel shop in Davis called Bo Bagels. I was applying for a job and I was having an interview with the manager and the conversation basically just shifted from my qualifications to um, make bagels to ska. So we've got this long conversation about ska. I said, you know, I, I play drums. I've, I've, I've been in, in ska-ish bands before. And he said, oh, I used to have a ska band. So we said, well, we got to do this. So I got the job at the bagel shop, and, and we, we started a band together. And then we just started gathering members. Well, do you know a bass player? Do you know a keyboard player? we got to find some horns. You know, and it just sort of, you know, grew and grew and grew. 
which is kind of similar to my, if my, if I remember correctly, how the toasters started, which was basically Rob Hingley was working at a comic book shop and basically just try to get all his coworkers uh, to to join this band that he wanted to. That he wanted oh, to interesting! I did not know that. When you listen to your albums, one of the things that I actually really like about it is the different sounds that mm-hmm. you're and, and yeah. styles that you're that you're playing around with. I mean, there's there's clearly like the foundation of what I would define as like third wave ska, but you've got influences from like swing. I would even like hear some like ragtime in there. You've yeah. got some Latin flamenco sound in, in some of the songs. Was that something that you as as the, the founding member and, and starting us off, was this something you kind of had in your mind or was this just kind of like evolution of the members as you started to bring them in? We had seven and a half, sometimes eight members and everyone wrote. So everyone was coming in with ideas. So it wasn't just, you know, one writer. So it wasn't, that's why it's not very monochromatic. It's like all this mishmash of influence because we had all these different people contributing. So it was, it was kind of cool that way. You also have, which I find kind of really great, is Mindy, uh, yep. vocalist. You had uh, a couple male uh, vocalists as well. And was that also something that kind of just came out of the evolution of the band? Or was that something you also kind of had in the back of your mind as, as something you wanted to do with the band? We never had anything in the back of our minds what we wanted to do with the band. It just sort of rolled along. And yeah, it started with Mark, who's the my manager at the, the bagel shop. You know, he had songs and he he wrote and he was the singer. And that's kind of what we did. And then slowly Mindy started writing songs and singing. And, and I was always just sang backup. And then after two albums, Mark quit and we kind of thought we were done. And everyone said, well, you can sing. And I said, I, yeah, but I don't really want to sing. And they said, well, come on, let's just try it. And so then I took over the male lead vocals on everything. Yeah, it was never, there was no plan. There was never a plan at all, <laughs> to be quite honest. It just, you know, rolled along. I, mean, I think about the only plan was we stayed true to ska at its roots. Uh, the aspiration being two-tone, that was where we all sort of agreed to that. But as, as And everyone was different, you know, approaches both creatively and their musicianship. I mean, Mindy was a keyboard player and trumpet player and singer. You know, our trombone player wrote stuff. I mean, everyone brought, our sax player was went to school for music. So everyone sort of did elements, as Rick pointed out. But Scott was about the only thing we agreed on. And you kind of hear that through, of, of course, like through all the albums is that, that primary foundation, which, which pulls everything together. So you, you can branch off into these, these different uh, other styles, but you always have that really consistent foundation like through the entire, your entire discography, you know, essentially. Yeah. Uh, now, you, now you've said like, you know, you never have really had any plans. So as you started to find some, like, some local success, did you let that get to your head at all? <laughs> well, I don't think we had like that much success <laughs> that ever got to our head. <laughs> maybe some of us, maybe Kevin, but not me. <laughs> Always with the pot shots. Always with the pot shots. No, I, did, I would say no, absolutely not, because we were a ska band, and it's hard to have a big <laughs> ego as a ska musician, right? I mean, even now there's a equal parts proud of it and embarrassed of it when you read every social thread around it, right? So as much <laughs> as people love it, they cap on it. I think a egoic highlight might have been playing at Bimbo's, and then the next day somebody on the street said, hey, are you the bass player Punch the Clown? That was the highest, like, recognition moment I've ever had. After that, no. That happened. Oh, wow. For the, for the women or the fame is what I figured, or the money because there are too many of us to get paid. Right, yeah, never about the money. And you know, the funny thing about that bimbo show I want to mention is um, 
we were the middle slot. Julian and Damian Marley were the headliners. But you'll never guess who the opening act was before us. It was the Black Eyed Peas. And it was before they had Fergie, before they were big at all. But it was like, and so we have this marquee that's actually on the wall over here. That you know, shows it's a Julian and Damian Marley, Punch the Clown, and in very tiny letters it says Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is really funny to, to when you see some of these older flyers, you know, and that with like Facebook and people are showing like, oh yeah, like here's this flyer from like 1991. It's like, you know, a couple of big names at the bottom. It's like, and the Slackers, like yeah, like, exactly, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like when they were starting out. Yeah, everyone's got to start somewhere. You all have your humble beginnings, unless you go on like American Idol or something, and it's straight to the top. Straight to the top. Now, Kevin has has shared at least one of his best memories uh, from from this scene. Rick, you know, have you had like any best memories that that you that you have from from your time in the in the Cali ska scene? There's nothing that just jumps out at me, and just so many great memories and playing with so many great bands and just you know meeting so many great people and you know just running around the state and the up up and out down, down the coast up to Vancouver all around and just sort of like living the life. I mean, it was like you know just debauchery and and just fun all the time. It was great, you know. I mean. I wouldn't do it again right now, but <laughs> but it was yeah, it was incredible. Just the whole thing, I think. Have you since the the dissolution of Punch the Clown, have you continued to kind of pay attention to what's happening locally in the ska scene as 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 things continue to evolve? Are you still going to shows, kind of paying attention to what's happening kind of in your in your world? A little bit. I mean, I'd say I you know did we? I think we went to like 1999, didn't we, or 2000, Kevin? I think we break about 98. Okay, what? All right. Well, we put out our last album in 98, so it must have been 99. But anyway, whatever. Um, I, I think at that point I was a little bit burnt out on Ska, so I, I kind of just let it go for a while. Um, but now, I, yeah, I'm definitely listen, listening to it more again in the last 10 years and, and going to a show here or there. Kevin, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we're surprised is we still see some of the bands that we played with, so we don't, you know, I think like Monkey would be one that we played with quite a bit you know, down here in the Bay Area, and uh, they're still playing some yeah. of those bands. But, you know, the for for us, we were staunchly not the punk ska scene, so we would either play with a punk, straight-up punk band or a ska band, but I don't know if we play with a lot of those combo bands, and, you know, that kind of hybrid as much. That seems to be the sound that is still somewhat surviving more so than maybe the more I mean, dare I say, traditional stuff. You know, this this project that we've been through right now, Rick and I, is something that's, you know, reintroduced me to it, so I've paid more attention. I have a high school-age son that I've introduced to ska music, and so now he's kind of branching off and introducing new stuff. So it's it's pretty cool that the scene maybe is just on a low simmer, but it's never stopped. It's never cooled off. It's always been a, a place, there's always been a home for it. Um, maybe a bright moment there in the 90s, it was um, quite popular in a public's eye, but it's never gone away. I, I, I fully agree with that as well. And, you know, we're cer- certainly kind of starting to see a more of a resurgence, I guess, in kind of coverage, if you will, of the more punkier side of, of Scott recently. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the scenes continue to go and go with, you know, I think some really strong traditional style bands that are still, you know, either popping up or continuing to play through the through the years. And like you mentioned Monkey, like they're they're about to hit up the East Coast um to do a few shows over here as they're heading down to the uh the Supernova Ska Festival that's happening uh in September. So it's great to see those guys, you know, continue yeah. To, yeah. to go on. Now you are about to officially release 
your anthology LP, um, which is Punch the Clown, is a hit machine, which is um, pulling tracks from all three of your original albums. This is the first time that you are finding yourself on record, all those original albums put out on CD. And what I want to kind of ask is, why now? Why after 22-ish years have you decided to bring the joy of Punch the Clown, uh, <laughs> not only to vinyl, but to a, to, to a potentially a whole new generation to discover you? Great question. I, I don't know. I might, I might. We were bored? <laughs> no, no, no. Stop it, Rick. I think there was there were high aspirations. I think when we found the the lost tapes, there was some interest in that's seeing, true, that's true. seeing what was on them. And then secondarily, we had hit our 20-year point, and I think there was some interest in maybe aligning to that number. You know, and then COVID hit, and then Rick and I are just took our time. We realized there was no one chomping at the bit. So additionally, it was, um, you know, it was a learning curve. It's been a long time since we produced an album together. Um, the media obviously has changed with vinyl. So and finding a reputable producer um, in terms of a manufacturer and, and the entire process of it was new. So I think it was intentionally 20 years and then two years out of little COVID time, it just sort of came out. So it's the lucky deuce deuce, I guess, is where we're coming at. <laughs> And was there any particular reason you you decided to go the kind of anthology direction versus potentially just re-releasing all of your albums, uh, you know, as as is? Yeah, I don't think we ever really discussed just re-releasing the albums on vinyl. I think that we just thought it'd be cool because we wanted to release that lost track, and so we said, well, only way to do that unless we snuck that onto one of the other albums. And I guess we just thought it'd be cool to put together a really tight. Um, you know, best of, in our opinion, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think when we were recording that stuff, there was such a, we were so young in terms of songwriting and discipline and the creative, you know, engineering and production qualities and all those things. I mean, we were just, anybody who showed up with a song, we would learn it and we'd play it that evening, you know, and it would be part of the set list. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of, I mean, I guess we weren't as critical as we could have been. Yes, we didn't, some songs in general that never saw the light of day, but I think when we got to this, that probably took the longest time between Rick and I to really beat on why certain songs were good. And you touched on it earlier about some of those eclectic bits. I mean, there are some things Rick didn't really want. And I said, yeah, but do you remember how we did this and why we did that? He's like, oh, yeah, shoot, that is right. And then he did the same with me. So I think it was sort of a critical look at our musicianship, the song craft, the quality of the audio itself and what best represented the history of the band with Mark all the way to Rick singing and then Mindy, you know, in between. So I think that's where we, we took that. I think where I first heard Punch the Clown was on the Spawn of Scarmageddon compilation uh, mm -hmm. on Moon. And the track that you had on that compilation was Trousers Full Eleven. And I have to admit, I, I was a little disappointed that that <laughs> track did not make it to this release. Any reason why it didn't make the, the cut other than it just didn't make the cut? That's a great question. I mean, it's a really, really good question. I guess, you know, and it's funny because I'd be hard-pressed to think of any show we ever played that that song wasn't on the set list. I mean, that was a consistent crowd pleaser. You know, some, you, you know like the John Hughes movies, how they just haven't aged well. You know, you, you know they're kind of like, oh, well, that's cringeworthy now. I kind of just feel like that song and the pervert song Two very, very early, early Punch the Clown songs. I mean, so I, <laughs> although I love those songs and I think they're good songs, I just think maybe they don't age well and maybe they're just a little bit sophomoric for 
us 50 year olds, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And maybe I, I over, we overthought it, but, and also I, I don't really like the recording of, of uh, Trousers for 11. I think it just sounds really thin. I would have liked to have re-recorded. I wish we had done it for my, our second or third album because those al albums, we actually knew what we were doing in the studio. The first one, we just kind of went in there and banged it, banged it out, and, which actually gives that album some, some of its appeal, is that it's so, like, what much more punk rock as far as just raw, and there's not a lot of effects. There's not a lot, you know, we just played them, like one tape, one or two tapes, and we're done. So there, those, for those reasons, I think that's why we just decided not to do it. No, you know what? I actually think that's a that's a really valid reason not to include that, and I think it sh and I think it shows you know the ability to look back on what we produced, what we were what we found thought acceptable. I've been going back and watching movies that I haven't watched in like twenty five, thirty years. It's kind of just like oh yeah, like how does that you know yeah how does translate that now? And and some of the, some movies do good, some. Do not. So, no, no exactly. I think it's. I think it's. A, I think that's a perfectly valid reason. And yeah, you listen to the lyrics. It's like, yeah, this is a little. Yeah, it's, it's questionable. Quest, it's, it's a little questionable. It's a it's little. A, it's, questionable. it's a best of album, and I don't think that was the best of say me. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I wrote I wrote those lyrics, and I'm like, yeah, maybe that wasn't. Maybe that's not what I want to be my legacy anymore. <laughs> No, I, I think that's I think that's an extremely valid reason. Let let the past be the past. Let's let this yeah. album let this album truly represent the best of. Right. Uh, now you've you kind of alluded to this a little earlier, which has never been released before, is your rendition of "Fly Me to the Moon," which I believe was recorded at your very last recording session, uh, but it was never officially released. And I wanted to ask, how did you come about essentially having this material? Should be released. Do you want to tell the story, or should I? I'm I'm happy I'm happy to. Um, okay. So we recorded at a studio in Sacramento called Enharmonic Studios, and um, recorded everything there. And then after um, we, you know, after '99, when we finished up as a band, uh, Enharmonic still went on until they didn't. And I think they tried to reach out to, or they claimed they did. Anyway, they went out of business, and they took all the reel-to-reel -reel we had, this quarter-inch reel-to-reel, apparently they just threw it in the dar garbage. And then... Because um, none of us could be... They did contact us. None of us could be bothered to go, you know, drive an hour and a half to Sacramento and, and pick them up. I mean, it must have been three, three and a half, four-foot stack of tapes. I mean, a significant amount. <laughs> but we just, you know, we were all over each other. We were over the band. And so yeah. we... Um, our keyboard player, April West, got a phone call from an old colleague who worked at a record store in Sacramento, I believe, who said... Uh, hey, I've got this kid in here trying to sell quarter-inch reel-to-reel tape that says "Punch the Clown" on it, you know, so he can buy CDs. Do you want? Do you want this? And so, luckily, April said yes. So she bought essentially the tapes that were our last album. What but became, it, was, it wasn't the whole album. It was just like a couple songs, right? Well, it was like most of the album. The way it was recorded, I came to find out when I went to try to get it turned into digital files, was um, unbearably complex in terms of the Rube Goldberg tape setup because Enharmonic wasn't necessarily super advanced. I mean, granted, it was advanced maybe for, it was pre-Pro Tools. I mean, we had tape machines go, because we were too many tracks. There was eight of us making noise. So the way they were doing it was really weird, I guess. I'm, I'm not an engineer, as you can tell. But the short of it, so we get we get those materials. I took it to the. I try to find people to, to digitize it for us. 
and that led me to the website called The Wayback Machine, mm -hmm. and only that guy had the technology to put these reel reels back, you know, on to get them live. I couldn't find anybody in the Bay Area to do that. So once we went through all the tapes, we realized um, what we really did have, and to Rick's point, what we did have was Fly Me to the Moon in its totality, except the horns. So the horns weren't on it. We couldn't find that. That tape wasn't syncing. So we took that tape and went to a separate studio called In the Pocket Studio where we record our sax player, Keith Klein, and he put that overdub on it. We remixed it. That's how it got on the album. That's amazing. So let, let's take a listen to a part of Fly Me to the Moon. That is such a, a really lovely rendition of the song. And what I really like about it, that you actually had Mindy do the vocals on the track. And you know the fact that when the song was originally written and the very, very first recording of the song that was released was also a woman singer, Kay Ballard. Although you know, Frank Sinatra, I think, is most closely associated yeah. with the song. Was it just happenstance that Mindy was the vocalist at the time and, and sang, or was there more of a, a clear just choice to have a, have a woman sing the song? She probably brought it to us and said, let's, let's play the song, and that's probably how it went about it. I honestly have no idea how that song was added to our set list and why we recorded it. I'm sure it was she brought it to us and said, you know, let's do this song. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, there were certain things like it was that time when, you know, like squirrel nut zippers and the, you know, cherry pop and daddies, like that, that definitely influenced us as well. Our, our trombone player, Joel Franklin, brought us the taxi theme song and we learned that at one point, you know, and that was essentially an instrumental. And so there was definitely some push by our horn section to bring some more complex songs, you know, from other artists into the mix. And I think Fly Me to the Moon struck us as a nice compromise of a nice straight ahead tune that would still have a ska undertone, you know, enough of that. And again, I think Rick touched on it earlier. He was sort of a reluctant singer, you know, he didn't necessarily want to sing everything. And the balance of it is Mindy, I think, wanted to sing some sort of that, that vibe. You know, she was trying to create her own musical identity because a lot of times people would say, Oh, you sound like no doubt. Well, 
she sounds like Mindy, but yeah, at the time, people would just kind of consider that as a similarity. So I think she was trying to create some identity for herself and bring some of that more musicianship and songcraft to the group. That's really cool. If you ever undig a recorded version of the, the taxi theme <laughs> through the lens of Punch the Clown, I would love to hear that. That, I don't think that it was ever recorded. I don't think it was a big crowd favorite either, if I recall. It was kind of a weird, weird thing. We're like, oh, really, Taxi again? Okay. Well, the tune I wish we did record was the pirate theme from Pirates of the Caribbean ride. That was a fun, you know, end of a show stomper. But, well, I think we only learned that because we were playing with, we went up, we were in Portland, we were playing with a pirate band. Like, that was their shtick. They were, they only played pirate songs, and we're like, well, we got to learn a pirate song. <laughs> we were very thematic. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. That's all I remember. Now we have to go search just for that tapes and hope maybe there's a sound, there's a soundboard recording. <laughs> I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Sacramento and just go through some dumpsters. It's got to be, you know. It's, it's in there somewhere. We the amazing thing is, is that, that the, the time they put the tapes in the dumpsters and the time that April got the call was like a 10-year span. Where the, I mean, there's no way those tapes were in the dumpster that long. Obviously, dumpsters get collected. So that thing must have moved around. Who knows? The story would be incredible, but they could talk. I mean, <laughs> well, the fact that it didn't get more damaged. Yeah, you know? I mean, water are, damage. I mean, everything. These are they're quarter inch. I mean, they're not even necessarily. We were we were broke, <laughs> so we bought the cheap shit, you know, to get that. So, um, you know, that in itself, it is kind of amazing. Yep. Now you're going to be releasing this anthology on Raj Records, which is the label that you essentially had started to release Punch the Clown material as well as some compilations and a, and a few other bands. Was that a proactive choice when you were first recording? Was it like, yeah, we're going, to start our, we're going to start a label to put out our material? Basically, that's exactly it. That we just wanted, we figured we'd do it ourselves, and we just said, well, we'll start our own label. And we had a friend named Raj who gave us some money. <laughs> and so we named it Raj Records. <laughs> and one of the things that if you dive into the the releases of Raj Records, you will discover that you were actually the, the label that originally released Slow Gherkin's Double Happiness, mm-hmm. um, which, was, which was eventually re-released by uh, Asian Man Records. But you guys had it first. How did, how did that come to be? Like, how did you... To, you know, make the decision to, to release their material, like were you friends with them, or, or just like, yeah, this is a great band that we need to get their material out there? The, our second release was that compilation, This Is Raj, This Is Ska, where we wanted to basically have northern, a bunch of Northern California ska bands, but we wanted each, each of them to have three songs. You know, that's not like a normal comp where everyone has one song. We wanted kind of everyone to get more of a flavor of that band. So as opposed to having 10 or 15 bands, we wanted like five, and you get, you know, you put on two or three songs, and they were one of the bands that, I don't know if we played with them at that time, but I don't think we had played with them. But then once we got that whole thing going, we played with them all the time. I mean, a hundred times, I don't know how many times. Um, and then, yeah, it just was a natural, you know, when they were going to go record their full length, we said, well, we'd love to put it out for you. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So that was just how it went down. Now that you've got this, this album out, is this beginning, perhaps, of the return of Raj record? I honestly don't think so. I think Kevin would agree with me. I mean, you know, it was we had a great time. That 10 years we did it, I mean, it was, it was great. But no, I, I, I think we've moved on from that. Yeah, I mean, the label, I think the label was kind of twofold. One, we wanted to put kind of a, a distance between the band and the producer of the band a little bit, right? That was the vehicle for it. Additionally, it let us put shows on and, and bring other artists in and, and engage in that way. Um, 
April, again, our keyboard player for West, she worked for a record producer, essentially, called Valley Records. Out distributor. Here. Distributor, excuse me. And that was an amazing advantage that we had at the time because they were Amazon's fulfillment center. So that was the beginnings of that. They also were piped into all these different I mean, they, we could get distribution in that capacity just because of April's relationship. Now, the music business has changed dramatically. Even I had advice from a very renowned ska player and producer in the Bay Area who said straight up to me, do not produce this album. You know, like, don't even bother, you know. So I think Rick and I looked at this as a labor of love, a real passion project to do, uh, to put out vinyl and to kind of have that accomplishment. But I think the intention of trying to help other artists I think they would uh, they would not succeed under our tutelage. <laughs> but have you, um, since the the band is broken up, have either of you continued on with music? You know, either you know, uh, playing or you know, behind the scenes in, in any capacity? Yeah, we actually Kevin and I continue to play, um, and we're writing songs, and we're probably going to try to go to record here in the next six months or something. See, and it's, it's a nice segue because our new band is called Hit Machine. So it's Punch the Clown is a hit machine, and the new band is Hit Machine. Get it? Ooh. <laughs> that works. I like it. I like it a lot. No, Rick and I have stayed playing music. He's got melodies and ideas that he wants to express, and I've been trying to write songs. And um, I think we both said, well, rather than try to labor over what genre to be in, let's, let's write songs, but in a genre that we, we love to, to get into. So it's been... Um, it's been fun to craft the, the tunes and the lyrics. I think at this point we are going to ideally assemble sort of musicians for us for a studio experience. And um, where that goes, you know, who knows? I mean, Spotify seems to be the easiest way to get material out, but uh, whether or not you see us on the road will be <laughs> kind of unlikely. Yeah. yeah, we have no expectations. We're just having a good time and, um, you know, no timeline. I think I would have a timeline because we would have gone over that about two years ago. <laughs> it's just a, we we live you know a couple hours apart, so it's hard to get together and um, you know. But we're we're having a great time. But yeah, def, definitely still playing music. That's it's nice. our version of Chinese democracy, if you will. <laughs> Good one. I like that. <laughs> and and you know you'll you'll be hit machine your own your own entity. But do you guys anticipate potentially even having like a one-off Punch the Clown reunion show, like to kind of promote the album or just like, or just to, you know, get the band together one last time. We did that in 2012. There was the, like one of our favorite places in the world to play in the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma did this thing for a few years. They called it the Nostalgia Fest. So like right around Christmas, they pulled together bands that, you know, hadn't played together in like 15 years that used to play there all the time. And so it's kind of fun. You get all these old bands that are, you know, trying to hack through their old songs. And so we did get together and do that show, which was super, super fun. But um, we haven't done anything since. And I, I doubt we will. I mean, it's just too many of us, <laughs> you know. I mean, people live in Europe. We're all over the place, so it's just too hard, I think. Well, we'll, we'll, always, we'll always have our old CDs. We'll always have now this brand-new, nicely remastered compilation that's going to be being released on LP. And this is going to be available directly through the band, through Raj Records. Uh, this is going to be on your website. We'll have that link in the description, which will be available around Labor Day weekend, so people can get that when it's out 
out. There's also a sign-up list on the website right now, so people don't forget that the album is about to be released. Or if you're locally in the in the Bay Area, I know it is in a couple shops right now. So Kevin, Rick, thank you very much for spending time with me, for joining me on the podcast. Best of luck. I hope you, you know, get some, some good sales to prove that Bay Area producer wrong. And, <laughs> and listen, if there's... If there are any record stores that want it, you know, we certainly would be happy to, to get it out in the hands of record shops. I mean, some of this is we would prefer it to be sold through record stores, right? I mean, that's where yeah, we I'd like to support them, you know, the best we can. I mean, I know we're not we're not uh, top 200,000 right now, but, you know, there's a chance with their help we could crack that, that list. But, no, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you letting us have this conversation and going down – memory lane. As Rick said, it was probably the most fun you could have uh, legally, as far as I could tell. And, um, you know, we met some amazing people and the joy of the scene was so powerful and it's, and it's still there. And it's nice to know that it's still alive. And I like to see it in my kids and I like to see uh, what you're doing and all the other people that are promoting it. So it's it's good to be to be part of it, even in our small way. Well, that, who knows? Maybe, maybe you know, your your kid will start "Son of Punch the Clown." Oh, good one! Yeah, <laughs> nice. All right. Well, again, thank you guys for for Thanks, joining Ryan. me, uh, and uh, maybe we'll we'll see you you know sometime down the road. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kevin and Rick as much as I enjoyed speaking with them. Uh, as I mentioned on the interview, they've got a brand new anthology LP, Punch the Clown is a Hit Machine. That is going to be out directly on their website, uh, I think later this weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend. You can check that out at punchtheclown.band. Uh, if you go there right now, there's probably going to be an email sign-up that you can you know, get on, uh, which will alert you when the LP is officially available for you to buy. Uh, so... Why don't you buy it? It's good. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, so let's listen to some more music. We've got some more uh, 97 inches uh, all lined up for you here. And of course, since we talked about uh, Slow Gherkin during the interview, we've got to kick off this next set with them. So without further ado, this is a Slow Gherkin with covert advertising right here on 100% Sky. Shell of the tail. If consumers think that it won't get the lead. lead. 
Yeah.
Jones on saxophone.
This is 100% Scott. You still got Ida there in the background. Give me that uh, nice little sound effect thing going on there. And yeah, you really got that going on there. Anyway, I don't know why I'm so distracted by this, but I am. Um, you can obviously tell that my microphone is really close to the window, but if you've listened to my show long enough, uh, you know that's where it is because you hear sirens and car crashes and all that good stuff um, in the background of my shows on a pretty regular basis. That's life in Jersey City, I tell you. Life in Jersey City. Uh, let me tell you just what you just heard there. Uh, finishing off the set, that was The Instigators with Maddie's song. Prior to that, we had C-Spot with Orient Express, recorded live in San Pedro, California, all the way back in 1994. Prior to that, we had The Exceptions with Flowering Scrunch, and starting us all off there, Slogurkin with Covert Advertising. Uh, and with that, we've reached the end of the episode. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this trip back to the 90s uh, with all this fun music, uh, the interview with Punch the Clown. Uh, again, thanks to those guys for uh, stopping by uh, to talk some good stuff. And uh, that's about it. Uh, next week, I think I've got um, quite a few new releases to share with you. Uh, so definitely tune in uh, for that episode. Uh, if you are new to the show, you can always check out uh, older episodes on djridemidnight.com and, of course, subscribe. And if you are an, uh, a regular listener but haven't subscribed already, hit that subscribe button, uh, as the kids say. Uh, so with that, thanks again, as always, for tuning in, for listening. It always means the world to me uh, that you do. And to finish us off here, we've got the jump starts with Lost City right here on 100% Ska. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time.